Hi, and welcome back to Talk Talk Episode 3. I'm your host, Emily Osan, and I'm here with Hobbs. I've been thinking about this episode for quite a while now. I'm interested in lots of the different ways of knowing, especially the contrast between reason and pretty much all the other ways of knowing, but especially intuition, imagination, and faith. Reason is commonly thought of as our strongest capacity to think or to understand or form judgments in a logical manner. This is something that we as humans tend to think holds us apart from animals who tend to act more on instinct rather than reason. Intuition, which is also quite different than instinct, is often thought of as sort of a gut feeling or knowing without knowing why. Intuition can be considered a trained response that allows us to bypass the reasoning process. It can be argued that as we learn and practice using knowledge, we develop a higher level of intuition. Right, Hobbs? But intuition is only as strong as the underlying knowledge that precedes it. I, for example, don't have the same intuition about what ails you or me as a doctor who has been trained in order to recognize symptoms and signs of disease. So my intuitive response may not be as accurate as someone who has spent their entire life training in order to understand that. Some people believe in something called the sixth sense or knowing beyond what is possible to know, sort of an awareness that is not possible or explainable in terms of what we can perceive. This really isn't the same thing as intuition. We all do truly have an intuitive capacity, or in other words, we have an ability to understand without reason. Faith, on the other hand, doesn't have any prerequisite for evidence of any kind. It's solely based on believing and, in a way, kind of undermines or causes us to question if it's even a way of knowing. Now, hold on for a second. I'm not saying faith is not a way of knowing. In fact, I think this is a cause for further investigation. If we go back to the fundamental definition of knowledge from Plato, the idea of justified true belief being what we call knowledge, this implies we must believe something to be true in order for it to be knowledge. So therefore, we require faith in believing. And if we follow that a little farther, faith is therefore a fundamental principle of knowledge. This definition of knowledge as justified true belief is not without flaws. One of the flaws is that it's possible to have a belief which is both true and supported with evidence, yet is still not knowledge. This is what's known as Gettier problems, named after American philosopher Edmund Gettier, who figured out that this definition of knowledge was problematic but only in 1963 which is kind of crazy because Plato's been around since somewhere around 429 BC. 
that's a long time for that definition of knowledge to have stood up. While there are lots of examples of the Gettier problem, the one I like the most is the sheep in the field example. So imagine you're standing outside looking at a field and there you see what you believe to be a sheep. But what you're looking at actually is not a sheep. It's actually a dog that kind of looks like a sheep. But you're right because just beyond that dog is an actual sheep. So while you did believe that the sheep was in the field, you had no direct evidence of its existence. And what you were actually seeing was a dog. Hence, you have a justified, true belief that there is a sheep in the field. But is that belief knowledge? That's essentially the Gettier problem. Another problem with this definition of knowledge as justifiable, true belief, or also maybe reliably formed true belief, is known as the Mino problem. And basically how I understand this is that true belief, as opposed to justified true belief, is perhaps no less valuable simply because of the way that it was formed. In regards to the Mino problem, Stanford's Encyclopedia of Philosophy on stanford.edu states that the reliability of the process by which something is produced does not automatically add value to that thing, and thus it cannot be assumed that the reliability of the process by which a true belief is produced will add to that true belief. So whether the, the true belief was produced by reason or imagination or faith is irrelevant to its value. In fact, the necessity of belief in the definition of knowledge could also be questioned. Is it possible to know something without believing it? I'm not really sure if it is. I'd like to think that it is possible to know something without actually believing it. But if you don't believe something, it means you don't accept it. You don't have faith in it. Perhaps because you have evidence or reason to not believe something. Or perhaps you don't believe in something because you don't have faith in it, and yet you can still know it, or at least know about it. Maybe that's the distinction there. Or perhaps we can withhold judgment about our belief in order to understand other people and allow their views to also be right. But is it possible for two conflicting or differing views to both be right or both be true? Which leads us to the concept of infallibility. The idea that knowledge is not compatible with being wrong. And this requires some level of evidence. The opposite point of view is fallibility, which is the idea that knowledge can exist even if evidence doesn't guarantee its truth, or perhaps there is no such thing as evidence to prove or disprove it. And that's a really important part of this discussion. If evidence is a requisite of knowledge, we might run into some trouble about what we already know or what we consider to be knowledge. The problem is, in order to progress, oftentimes it requires us as humans to let go sometimes of the need for verifiable evidence in order to reach a higher level of knowledge. Whew. Hobbs, how you doing over there, buddy? How you doing? You following along? At the start of my talk, I also mentioned imagination as a way of knowing. 
And imagination is important because it allows us to understand or see things that are possible that may not exist or could never exist, or perhaps are beyond our current capacity to discover with the tools that we have. Imagination is really different than faith or intuition. For example, imagine you can fly versus believe you can fly. Imagination is really important for empathy and understanding how others might experience things. But it's also important in helping to develop new knowledge where none existed in the first place. So, is reason more reliable than any of the other ways of knowing? And my initial answer to this is that no, no it's not. Although in some ways, yes, no. The other ways of knowing are just as important and reliable as reason. But what is it about our culture that values reason so much above imagination or faith or intuition? Reason clearly plays an important role in the natural sciences, especially in the development of theories, the testing of hypotheses, and the creation of laws so that we can understand our world. And specifically, two kinds of reasoning are used within the natural sciences, deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning. Deductive reasoning starts out with a general statement and moves more towards the specific. The scientific method uses deductions when testing hypotheses and theories. And we use these theories to make predictive statements towards how things might behave. Inductive reasoning is the opposite of deductive reasoning, usually makes broad generalizations after looking at specific observations. So basically looking at data, we draw conclusions. When we find patterns in science, we can then make generalizations. Another form of reasoning is called abductive reasoning, which just doesn't really fit with either. It's basically looking at a whole complete or incomplete set of data and proceeds to the most likely possible explanation. This is also known as Occam's razor, that the simplest explanation is the best. Often people have a misconception about the scientific method as if there were a singular way in which to conduct all experiments. A really nice connection here with the arts is that there is a demand for creativity and a fresh approach to solving each problem. And solving problems in science and art can get messy. Clearly, religious knowledge systems and indigenous knowledge systems do not rely so heavily on reason as does natural sciences. Faith, on the other hand, plays in a very important role in religious knowledge systems. Faith is seen as something, a virtue or way of knowing that can be developed. Much like reason can be developed, with practice, people can become more faithful. Some people refer to it as if it were like a muscle that must be trained. Some religious knowledge doesn't hold up without faith because there's just simply no evidence, and yet faith is seen as a prerequisite for hope and love. Another definition of faith that goes against this is that within religious knowledge, faith may equate to confidence or belief on some perceived degree of justification. So while evidence might be one item as a justifier of a true belief, there might be other kinds of justifiers. For example, a belief 
could justify another belief. The problem here is where the belief that it's based on is perhaps not accurate. And this is one area where religion gets into some murky waters, especially when politicians or governments or rulers use religion to drive their own agenda. And this becomes really complicated to to separate the belief that the belief was based off from possible truth. At this point, I'd like to acknowledge a conversation I had last week over lunch with another TOK teacher, which sparked an idea for this episode. His argument in favor of reason was that surely some explanations are just wrong. Aren't explanations such as the creation of the universe that rely on the reasoning process such as a scientific method, more reliable than those that rely on other ways of knowing like imagination or faith? In some ways, I agree. Logical explanations do seem to be the best, but can explanations that are not logical also be true? He gave the example of the rainbow serpent story of creation from Aboriginal cultures. The story is that a great rainbow serpent descended from a large being in the Milky Way galaxy and explains how we came to be. In this story, the serpent came under the ground creating huge ridges and mountains. And perhaps from a Western perspective that has a developed requirement for evidence, where is the evidence of a snake? This explanation seems untrue, or perhaps not as true as scientific explanations. But when I begin to consider this idea using imagination, I can start to understand how these explanations might be true in a sense of metaphor, or perhaps explanations that rely on a different set of concepts but are no less true. So why does this matter? Historically, truth and knowledge has been controlled by religions and states. And it's possible in our quest to regain some of that power that is knowledge, we've overplayed the value of reason opposed to other ways of knowing. And in our effort to regain some of this power by the requirement for evidence in consideration of knowledge, we may have rushed to reason away all the stories of myth and stories that may hold some greater truth that science with its sterile instruments cannot fully understand and appreciate. The story of creation is one that has been told from a variety of different perspectives. Just hang on. I don't want to get too cliche here, but I really like this one. So the prevailing theory in natural science right now is what we know as the Big Bang Theory. According to Space.com, at its simplest, Big Bang Theory says the universe as we know it started with the small singularity, then inflated over the next 13.8 billion years to the cosmos that we now know today. The Big Bang Theory is a starting point for dating the age of our universe and provides a scientific explanation to how our universe came to be. However, there's a lot of problems with the Big Bang Theory, and some of those include violation of our current laws on Earth, and our current understanding of the way things work at present. Sir Karl Popper, an Australian-British philosopher of natural science, is known for rejecting inductive reasoning in the scientific method in favor of the idea of falsifiability. He proposed that statements and theories that are not falsifiable are unscientific, meaning if we can't disprove something, if there's no possible way to disprove it, that there is not a scientific theory. 
And some people do question, is it possible to disprove the Big Bang Theory? Either way, it is just that, a theory, an explanation that we think, we imagine, we believe, we deduce, but yet we don't know is true. Okay, okay, okay. Now hang on. I like the Big Bang Theory just as much as anyone. The idea of us starting as nothing and becoming what we are is a really imaginative scenario, don't you think? And I mean, Penny and Leonard, who would have put those two together? And yet, look at them. Okay, but let's turn now and look at other explanations of how the earth got here and how we came to be. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Okay, so I'm reading from the Holy Bible, a new Schofield reference edition published by Oxford, which provides some interesting footnotes in relation to the interpretation of the biblical text. It offers a really important footnote that in verse 1, it says the first creative act refers to the dateless past. And later it goes on to read that neither here or later in the story of creation is an original creative act implied. In fact, it says that it is in a sense made to appear or made visible. It gets a little tricky here because in Genesis, the story of creation was that God created the earth in seven days. In the Bible that I'm looking at, it says that the word day doesn't necessarily relate to a solar day, but could be interpreted to mean each creative day was a period of time marked off by a beginning and an ending. This interpretation does allow us to see both the Big Bang Theory and the creation story as two explanations of a similar thing. We do get in a little more trouble later when we talk about how humans were created, on the other hand. But for now, let's just see these two stories as different versions of the same thing. In indigenous knowledge systems, imagination could be argued to play an equally important role as reason within our current modern society. In his book, Native American Animal Stories, Joseph Bruchak offers a story of the silver fox and coyote and their story of how the earth was created. I used to read these stories to my daughters when they were little as bedtime stories because of the dreamlike quality that they hold. I don't think they're meant to be understood as literal stories of animals that created the earth. Or perhaps they were and are. In the creation story told by the Miwok Indians of the West Coast, the silver fox began singing because she was lonely. She wanted to meet someone, so she sang and then she sang, and then she met Coyote, who was also lonely, and they were both traveling, both traveling because they were lonely. Agreeing that it's better for two people to travel together, they decided to make the world. How will we do that, Coyote said. We will sing the world, Silver Fox said, and the two of them danced our earth into existence. 
Now, one might argue this story of creation is clearly unreasonable and perhaps not knowledge, but each of these stories allows us access into different layers of understanding than the other. Perhaps it's because each of these different areas of knowledge have different things that they're asking about the creation of the universe, and therefore they're finding different answers. Or maybe it's because the answers that they find allow them to apply what they find to different kinds of knowledge. So this leads to the question, can opposing viewpoints really coexist? Can two truths that contradict each other exist at the same time? Is it possible that they're contradicting because we're refusing to see them in ways that allow us to fully grasp their commonalities? Will the people hundreds or thousands of years from now look back on our story of the Big Bang and think about how imagination played such a great role in our explanation of this complicated universe? Will they think that because they've evolved their models so much from where we currently stand? This brings us back to our question, is reason really the most important way of knowing? I truly think we need to question the weight of reason and the credibility of arguments and ideas developed through reason above all other ways of knowing and asks us to question more about the role of intuition, imagination, and even faith in understanding the world around us. Oh, Hobbs, I know, it's time to go outside, isn't it? You need to go throw that ball, I think so. In my next episode of Talk Talk, I want to talk more about intuition and reason in ethics. By the way, I had a few listeners ask me a little bit more about what's in a name. After that episode, some people were kind of wondering why I didn't talk about the name of this podcast. Basically, TOK is theory of knowledge, which is a branch of philosophy concerned with knowledge, especially the methods and application and distinction between truth and opinion. If you want to find out more about Talk Talk, please have a look at my website, www.tok. T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep questioning.